Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Soccer Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Akhtar, and as always, I'm joined by our brother, Nihal. How are you doing, Nihal? I'm doing really well. You know, I'm still still really excited from last night's uh, World Cup victory. It's a yeah. good day. Let's discuss that. Nearly 27 million Americans tuned in to watch the U.S. Women's National Team defeat Japan 5-2 in Vancouver to lift their first World Cup trophy in 16 years. The U.S. were led by Carly Lloyd, who scored a hat-trick, including a fantastic goal from 54 yards out. That was, that was incredible. That's great goal. Lloyd, of course, won the Golden Ball, or player of the tournament, and the Silver Boot. Keeper Hope Solo was also awarded with the Golden Glove. Yeah, you know, um, Carly Lloyd absolutely deserved the Golden Ball. Uh, she had a slow start to the tournament, but she really came alive against China and was the best player, and that's really because of Morgan Bryan and what she brought to the team and the change in formation, uh, which pushed Carly Lloyd forward. And Hope Solo only let up three goals in this tournament. Um... She didn't really have a whole lot to do after the Australia match, but, you know, she she was, she was deserved it as well. So, uh, good for them. Um, Carly Lloyd was tied with um, the German striker uh, Shashich, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, with six goals and one assist. Um, but Lloyd had played more minutes, so that's why she got the silver boot, and Shashich, Celia Shashich got the golden boot. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a great, great tournament and a great final to watch for... If you're an American fan, not so much if you're a Japanese fan. Yeah. So besides our two award winners, who impressed you? Megan Klingenberg. You know, we have a friend who's absolutely in love with her, um, but she is just so good defensively and so good going forward. You know, and Ellie Krieger are right back. You never felt like those two players were ever going to be beaten one-on-one. Um, and I know before before this match, the hipster pick, was Julie Johnson, but now since everyone likes Julie Johnson, everyone's talking about her partner, Becky Sal. And since she was nominated for the Golden Ball. Yeah, that's true. Um, but now everyone's talking about her partner, Becky Sauerbrunn, uh, who has even better stats, actually, than Julie Johnson. You know, she made not any mistakes in this tournament, while Julie Johnson had her own goal in the final and, you know, um, should have been red carded in the semifinal. So uh, I think the whole defense, aside from Julie Johnson, but including Julie Johnson, um, I guess Julie Johnson, everyone knows how impressive she is. Um, but the whole defense really was, was very, very impressive. Very solid defensively. And like I said, the fullbacks were great going forward. Allie Krieger, fantastic. And Megan Klingenberg, fantastic as well. And, you know, it's a good, you know, Sauerbrunn and Julie Johnson, it's a good nucleus to build a team around. You know, it was only three years ago Ju- Julie Johnson was captaining the under-20 team to a World Cup title. So... You know, the, she's a great player going forward, and she's going to be the next Christy Rampone, maybe, hopefully. And it was nice to see Christy Rampone play, by the way. Um, 40 years old, that's incredible. Yeah. They say she's still one of the fastest players on the team. It's insane. The defense was great, but at the beginning of the match, it was goals galore for the U.S. Carly Lloyd completed her hat-trick after 16 minutes. How did the U.S. manage to do this? Well, I mean, they really caught, they really caught Japan off guard. So uh, the, Japan is a very possession-oriented team. They like to keep the ball. And they're also a very small team. So I think going into the match, Japan thought on set pieces, the U.S. is going to try to beat us in the air because they have that size advantage. But the t- first two goals were off of set pieces. One was a corner kick. The second was a free kick. And on both set pieces, um, the ball was rolled into the box, which allowed Lloyd to run in onto both, or Johnson to run into the second one, and Lloyd eventually to run in, but on the first one, Lloyd to run directly onto it. So I think that really caught Japan off guard. You know, this, 
they, they obviously they, they probably prepared for a ball into the air and for the U.S. to try to outmuscle them and outjump them, and not for the U.S. to go with something special. But the, I mean, that being said, it's not easy. The balls had to be inch perfect, which they were. Um, the second one was a slightly more fluky. The first one was fantastic, um, but Japan was just not ready for that. And once the first two goals went in, uh, Japan had to attack. You know, they had to go forward with as many numbers as possible, and that that left some. Um, that left some holes in, in the defense. The, the third goal, uh, Holiday's volley, was just off of a poor clearance, and the fourth goal was Carly Lloyd's 54-yard chip. And, you know, that, I mean, that's just pure class from Lloyd and the case of the Japanese keeper being a little bit too far off her line. But the keeper just did have a chance to save it. Um, but, I mean, it was a fantastic chip. To be running and to be able to chip, not, not many players in the men's or women's game can pull that off. Um, you see people try it all the time. Carly Lloyd, just <laughs> fantastic, fantastic chip. So it was, it was a mixture of Japan being caught off guard at the beginning and then having to commit forward and to maybe go away from their original game plan to try to get goals quickly. Mm -hmm. In general, credit to the U.S. in this tournament. I mean, I remember after the game against Sweden, we were in panic mode. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were like ranting about the team. <laughs> um, very... Cool, calm, and collected response from the women for, for, for the rest of the tournament. What did we learn about the U.S. from this World Cup? I, you know, the gap has closed, but we're still the best team in the world. And there's still a handful. Uh, the, top, the top four teams in the world are the top four teams in the world, and there's a huge drop-off. You look at the France-Germany um, match and then the Germany-U.S. match, they were really competitive and a really high quality of soccer. But when you look at the other side of the bracket with England, Japan, it was a lot more sloppy. Um, and so, like, right, right now, the U.S. has... Uh, the U.S. are at the top, still. Uh, they can afford to play badly and still win a tournament like this. Um, something else is, you know, Jill Ellis can coach. You know, I, I was wrong. A lot of people were wrong. Um, she was willing to change her tactics up, and, and it worked. And, 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 you know, we don't need to stick with or be loyal to a player like Abby Wambach, who, you know, has done fantastic things for the national team, but is not offering much in this tournament. You know, it took a lot of guts for Jill Ellis to be able to pull Abby Wambach and do what's best for the team, which was to play five in the midfield and to play Alex Morgan. Because the goals weren't coming from the forwards. You know, we have five forwards on the roster, so, I mean, naturally it's tempting to play two forwards or as many forwards as we can, but... You know, if they aren't scoring goals, something has to change. And Jill Ellis identified that, play, saw what Morgan Bryan did as a result of uh, yellow card accumulation suspension for Holiday uh, against China. And um, when she saw what Morgan Bryan did, that she was ready. Uh, also, Julie Johnston's teammate, the U-20 World Cup. She's only 22 years old. Uh, so th th those are two great players to have going forward. But when she saw that these two players, uh, that uh, Morgan could play in the midfield, um, Morgan Bryan, that is, could play in the midfield, control the tempo, and really connect between the defense and the attack, and have Carly, being, Carly Lloyd being pushed forward, um, she, was, she was able to, her staff was able to identify that, and um, they were able to capitalize on that. And also, the set pieces in the, in the, in the final were all coaching. I mean, that's, that's completely all coaching, so I was completely wrong. Jill Ellis is a fantastic coach, of course, um, or she's a very, very good one. You know, who might have gotten it wrong at the beginning. And, you know, every coach or every manager is a little bit stubborn with their tactics if they're not working. But she, she did change them. Um, and credit to Wambach, too, for saying that the team plays better without her. So 
Um, you know, we, we learned a lot from this tournament. Um, so uh, who knows where we'll be in four years. We have a lot of older players. Um, but, you know, the pipeline, the pipeline is always there for women's soccer in this country. Um, it really is the peak women's sport, uh, maybe besides basketball. So hopefully, hopefully the NWSL can gain some viewers and they can, they can be, continue to be stable. And the U.S. will continue to develop some great, great talent. You know, we have a lot of young players with LaRue, Christian Press, Alex Morgan, Morgan Bryan, um, and Julie Johnston. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I just, we don't know who's going to replace Hope Solo. She'll be 37 in four years. But overall, a great tournament, like you said. Yeah. End of a tournament, a start of another one. Um, the tune-up game for the Gold Cup was against Guatemala on a Friday. The U.S. beat them 4-0. to Um... What were your general thoughts on this game? Who impressed you? Uh, well, overall, you know, it wasn't technically a great game for the U.S. You know, it, the scoreline was good. It was a good result. But you, you watched the game with me. The U.S. didn't look that great. Um, uh, fortunately, they were able to get it done because, I mean, Guatemala is not a great team. Um, but I think the, the main player who impressed me, my, my man of the match was a mixed disc I thought he was really, really good. Um, you know, he was, he was great going forward. He was great tracking back. Michael Bradley didn't have his best game. Um, so it was, it was good to see Discarude be really, you know, take Michael Bradley's place, so to say, not take his place, but to maybe pick up the slack and, um, just be really, really good. Uh, Fabian Johnson was fantastic. He completed 19 out of 20 passes in the first half. He only played 45 minutes. Um, I think left back might be the best position for him. And John Brooks was very, very solid back there. Um, he was always there to clear the lines. So good performances by all of them, along with DeAndre Yedlin, who was very good up the right wing. And, of course, Timmy Chandler, who scored that absolute cracker um, in the second half. So good performance by the U.S., not great. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, it's easy to say be confident after a 4-0 win, but this was against Guatemala. We have harder competition in the Gold Cup, I mean, even in our group. So what holes do the U.S. still have that we need to work on during the Gold Cup? Uh, I, you know, I really think we need to figure out the center back pairing. I don't know if Brooks and Gonzalez works. Um, they're probably the two best center backs on this roster. But, you know, they, they're too similar maybe. So maybe stick in Alvarado in there um, or even Tim Ream because Tim Ream looks pretty good too. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, right. Right center back is the hole is the biggest hole right now. Brad Buzan needs to work on his distribution, and I think if if there's ever a time to move away from Josie Altidore as the focal point of your offense, it's this tournament. You know, I love Josie. Um, I think he's absolutely crucial to this national team, but you know, he didn't show up against Guatemala. And if you have a more dynamic player like Aaron Johansson who can find the space and maybe cater to a more proactive style of soccer um, who won't slow the game down necessarily. If we can commit to a player like that and if he can and if he shows that he can do well, you know, maybe it's a shift in style we'll see. And if if we successfully do that with Johansson, we can have players like Zardes or Wood or Agadello up there rather than a Josie Altador or maybe even a Chris Wondolowski uh, going forward. I still think Josie Altador is a starting striker and we need to stick with him. Um, but if if he doesn't get production in the first two games, if he doesn't do well, um, I think it might I think it might be better for the U.S. to switch to um, switch to uh, Johansson um, and also Clint Dempsey. You know how is he?
going to react throughout the tournament to losing his armband? And how is he? How are he and Bradley going to work together? Because we saw in this match, Bradley did not go forward as much because Dempsey was there, and Dempsey was not nearly as effective as Bradley is as picking out that final pass, which maybe, um, you know, maybe led to Bradley's bad performance or not bad performance, but not so great performance. So. Those are the things we have to figure out. How do, the main thing being, how do Bradley and Dempsey work together? And how can the, both of these um, players, historically great players for the U.S., work together and find Gold Cup success? And luckily, um, luckily this, is, this is a tournament um, to tinker around and maybe, you know, in, at least in the group stages and see, see what works and see what doesn't work. Yeah. You mentioned switching out Johansson for Josie if he doesn't play well. I always thought that... If Johansson is a lone striker, I mean, I find him drifting wide or just yeah. not the highest player on the pitch. He, it doesn't seem like he's he's really trying to like go for goal as much like plays right. yeah, he, he's more he's more of the facilitator. So I mean, I would like to see Josie and Johansson together. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty cool um, to see because they haven't played together much. Uh, even at Azad, they didn't play together. And you know, Johansson is not a lone striker. He's not so. You know, if you have Zardes on the wing, it's another thing. I don't know who's who's going to play midfield, outside midfield. Will it be Discrude, Yedlin, Zardes, or Bedoya? Which one of those players will play? But if you have a player like Zardes out on the wing with Johansson starting as a lone striker, you know, they can interchange and work with each other, and either of them can be on the wing or a striker at any given time. And Yedlin can just be on the other wing um, whipping balls in. So, I mean, you're right. He, he He's not a lone striker. I never thought he was a lone striker. But if we want to play that kind of style, he might be better for it, especially with the strikers on this roster, because we have Dempsey, Johansson, Wondolowski, and Josie. We really don't have many other options in that department, um, which is why it's unfortunate Jordan Morris was injured. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. We'll, uh, Josie will, will likely be the, the striker going forward. A substitution that caught a lot of U.S. fans off guard was Wando coming on and late in the game. Do you think that Wando has a place in this team? Besides a friendly? Uh, you know, I think he's... It's hard to say because, I mean, if Josie goes down in the group stage or if something happens to one of the strikers, Wando is probably going to come on and play. And I think he does have a role in mentoring maybe some younger strikers, although there aren't many younger strikers on the team. Um, they're all pretty much veteran players besides Johansson. So Klinsman likes him. He likes his work rate in, in the match and also in practice, which is or in training, which is which can't be underestimated. So um, right now, going forward, I think he does have a place on this team as much as I would like him not to. And, you know, maybe if Jordan Morris was healthy, Wanda wouldn't even be here. Um, but, you know, maybe Johansson would be here. So I don't, I don't really know. I, I, obviously, I'm not in the mind of, of Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, but I think he does have a place in this team as much as I and other U.S. fans might not like it. So let's talk about what we were talking about before. You said if... There's an injury. You might see Wondolowski come in. I know Zardes was listed as a midfielder on the roster, but do you think he could play striker in yeah, this tournament? Yeah, I mean, I think he was better at striker against Germany in the last friendly. So, you know, actually, thanks for reminding me. I totally forgot that he was there, too. So, yeah, you know, Zardes, maybe Wando's there to mentor Zardes as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's probably what, what Klinsman would end up doing, actually, if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's get your starting 11 versus Honduras on Tuesday. Um, all right. So, I think, I think Klinsman will opt to go back into that diamond. 
Um, and I think he wants to get three points right away because it's very important. Honduras is another Hex team. Um, so I think he's going to go with Josie and Dempsey up top. Bradley right underneath. And then on the wings, I'm going to say Yedlin and Bedoya. So it's hard. It could be, I think, Bedoya and either Discrude or Yedlin or even Zardis. Like, I, I don't know what he's going to do. But I think, I really think, I have a feeling he's going to go with Bedoya and Yedlin. Um, and then at holding midfield, Kyle Beckerman, because Bradley always seems to be better with Beckerman there. And then along the back line, Fabian Johnson at left back, John Brooks at left center back. I think he'll stick with Omar Gonzalez at right center back, uh, Timmy Chandler at right back, and Brad Guzan at goalkeeper. Um, I think aside from the outside midfield spots, I think that's, that's, that's what's going to happen um, for sure. I think Zardes might be able to slot in on the left midfield, but I think Bedoya is way too good not to be starting for the U.S. Um, and then Discrude could also play outside midfield. He played very well there against Germany. But I think Yeldon has been in very, very good form. And I think Klinsman realizes that it's good for him to have a good tournament, playing a lot of minutes, going into preseason with Norwich or Tottenham, wherever he ends up playing. Yeah. So let's talk about big picture for the Gold Cup. What do you see the U.S. doing and what do you want the U.S. to do, I guess? Um, in terms of how far they'll get? Yeah, how far they'll get their success. You know, I think they will win it. Um, they have to get through Costa Rica in the semifinal if both teams win their groups, which will be difficult. Mexico is a little bit crippled, and they want to win the competition too, but I just think the U.S. Um, has their number, at least on American soil. Um, so I think the U.S. will go on to win it uh, against Mexico. Costa Rica will give them a fight. Um, and I see the U.S. coming out of their group, along with Panama and Honduras, three hex teams. So I think, I think Honduras will actually win, or actually win that third place spot. Um, Haiti's also in the group. And then I think um, Mexico and um, probably Mexico and Guatemala or Trinidad. They're with Trinidad and Tobago and Cuba as well. I'm inclined to say Trinidad and Tobago. I think they're, you know, Kenwin Jones is a decent striker. I think they'll get out of the group. And then um, Group B, which I happen to skip, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Jamaica, and Canada. I think Costa Rica wins the group. Uh, Jamaica comes in second, and then Canada gets out in the th as the third-place team. So we're looking at USA, Panama, Honduras, um, Jamaica, Mexico, Canada, and then Trinidad, Tobago, and Costa Rica as your quarterfinalists. And I think, you know, dark horse teams might, yeah, they're not really dark horse since they were in the final last time, but Panama, um, I think they can do really, really well in this tournament. And maybe even Canada, you know, maybe they, you know, Kyle Aaron's on form. He's playing very, very well. Uh, they have some nice young talent. And if they can pull it all together, maybe have a good group stage run, um, they'll do well. But it's very important for the U.S. to finish um, first in the group to potentially play a third place team. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think the U.S. will win. Um, I do think Carlos Vela will win Golden Boot, though. If, you know, if we're going to go into that kind of thing, I think Carlos Vela will win Golden Boot. He's too good. Mexico has a great squad. Of course, we talked about last time Moreno and Chicharito are hurt, but they still have Vela. They still have G Giovanni Dos Santos at the back. Um, they have Diego Reyes. They have um, Miguel Layun. Um, so they have, they have some real quality there. Andres Guardado is still there. He can play anywhere on the team. Um, so, you know, they still, they still have a quality team. Costa Rica is obviously a team to watch. Uh, Mexico and Costa Rica recently played to a 2-2 draw, actually, in a friendly. 
Um, so, you know, I think the, the three top teams in the USA, Costa Rica, and Mexico will all be there. Um, but I think the USA will come out, come out on top. I know it's difficult to think about, but let's say Costa Rica does beat the U.S. on our side of the bracket. Who do you see winning Costa Rica or Mexico in the final? Uh, it's a tough one. I, I think... I think Mexico wins. I think Mexico's too good right now. Um, Costa Rica obviously has has a has a great shot at winning it. Um, but you know, if Mexico if it's Mexico versus Costa Rica in the final, it'll be ninety percent Mexican supporters in the stadium. Right. Um, so it, it really is difficult to say. But I really think Mexico, even without Chicharito, would would pull that out. The Gold Cup kicks off Tuesday at 7 p.m., uh, Panama versus Haiti in the Group A action, and the U.S. campaign begins at 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday as well. 9.30 p.m. Oh, sorry. That's okay. On Fox Sports 1. Yeah, so we'll be looking forward to watching that. So we both watched the Copa America final together, Chile versus Argentina. Chile did come out on penalties after a 0-0 game. There were a couple opportunities here and there, but I think we both both knew the whole time that it was going to go into penalties. Yeah. I mean, didn't see a goal. Yeah, Alexis Sanchez had a chance at the end with that late run of yeah. the Mascherano uh, miss. Um, and then, of course, Gonzalo Higuain at the very end, which on a very tough angle um, oh, yeah. wasn't able to score. So, yeah, you know, it always, it always seemed like a match that would go into extra time, and eventually when it was in extra time, there weren't many chances. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate that Argentina lost again. You know, they won the World Cup final last year. Um, but, you know, Chile deserved to win. They had a great tournament, um, despite the fact that Arturo Vidal somehow was playing. Um, well, not despite the fact. They, they won because of that, is what I'm trying to say. But he shouldn't have been playing. Um, but, yeah, they had a good tournament. You know, they were at home. They deserved, they deserved to win. And good for them, you know, their first title, yeah. I believe. So let's talk about Chile a little bit. Do you think they're actually the best team in South America or Comnibol? Sorry, I can never pronounce that. Or is it just home field advantage? Well, home field advantage is, is, is a big part of it. Um, I, I think Argentina is the best team in South America right now. Um, that being said, there's, Chile is right there. Uh, Brazil and Colombia are up there too. But I think Chile and Argentina are unequivocally the two best teams. Um, and... I mean, on neutral ground, I would take Argentina any any day. They have just way too much attacking talent. They're much better defensively. Chile doesn't even play with center backs. They play with three defensive midfielders, which is, I mean, it's amazing how they do that. Gary Medell is a pit bull back there, um, the interman, so he's he's great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think on neutral ground, Argentina wins. And, you know, we saw, we lost, we saw last summer, you know, Argentina was able to make it to the final. And, um, and Chile went out in the penalties against Brazil. In the round of 16 or the quarterfinal? In the round of 16, because Brazil played Colombia in the next round. Um, so, you know, I, I, and the teams aren't that different. But, you know, Chile has a lot of talent. They have Vidal and Alexis Sanchez going forward, who will be there in three years, as well as Eduardo Vargas, who's sort of the golden boy now. He didn't do much against Argentina, but they do have a lot of talent. Um, and they should, you know, hopefully this can jumpstart maybe years of success for Chile, um, and hopefully this is not a flash-in-the-pan golden generation, so to speak, Chile team. But your original question, Argentina is the best team in South America right now, but Chile deserved to win the tournament. Yeah. So, talking a little about Argentina, 
Messi, obviously, the star forward, does he need to win titles to be considered the best or even better than Maradona? Because uh, I still hear that discussion. I, you know, for me, no, because I feel like his team consistently lets him down in situations like this. I mean, he scored his penalty, right? No one, mm-hmm. no one else scored. He created that last chance. Um, but I think to be considered on a worldwide stage and to be considered the best in Argentina, he needs to win at least one World Cup um, or, and definitely a, a Copa America. Um, you know, I obviously... But, I mean, okay, consider the best, but in your mind, does it really matter if he wins a World Cup or not? Well, no, it's a team, it's a team tournament, you know? It's, yeah, I mean, so that, I just think the whole thing is stupid. Right? Yeah, I mean, the comparison... Obviously, we've never seen Maradona play, so I mean, we, we not can't... Not live. Yeah, so we can't make that... We can't make that comparison personally, but based on Messi's scoring record and what he's done for Argentina and Barcelona, it's it's hard to argue that he's in the conversation. He is in the conversation. But when it comes down to it, you know, you need championships. It's the reason why Joe Montana is considered one of the best and Dan Marino isn't. I mean, it's the same type of deal. I mean, Dan Marino is considered one of the best. But he always has the asterisk next to him. He mm-hmm. never won a championship. So, um, I mean, Messi really is the quarterback of Argentina. Or, um, to not, you know, not to stray too far into American <laughs> football. Um, but, you know, he, 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 he bears that burden. And it's interesting to see the dichotomy between Ronaldo and Messi. It feels like when Portugal fails, it's not Ronaldo's fault. It's the team. And when Messi fails, it's more his fault, which is might be fair well, because Messi or Argentina is a much better team than Portugal. Um, but it's just interesting. Like club level, they're compared a lot, but or and compared equally, I'd say. Um, but on the international level, it's a little bit more unequal. So yeah. Well, I mean, even on the club level, I, I mean, I think Barcelona is a good distance ahead of Real Madrid. But I mean, we're gonna talk about that elsewhere. Let's talk MLS. All right, let's do it. So, I'm just going to list the results starting on July 3rd. We have Houston and Chicago tying 1-1. Seattle beating D.C. 1-0. Columbus beating New York 2-1. We watched that. Yep. Montreal losing to NYCFC 1-2. Dallas beating New England 3-0. What a result for them. Colorado beating the Whitecaps 2-1. RSL tying Orlando 1-1. L.A. beating Toronto 4-0. Portland beating the Earthquakes 1-0. Yeah. All right, so, you know, it was, it was an exciting weekend. Um, I think, you know, why don't, we go into, why don't we go into each match a little bit more specifically? I'd like to hit on all the matches. Yeah. Um, so, Houston-Chicago, there's not really much to say. It was always going to be an ugly game. Two, two teams that needed results. Um, 1-1. Uh, Alex scored as well as um, Patrick Nayarko for Chicago. Uh, Alex for uh, Houston. So, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really much there. In the second match, you mentioned Seattle, first in the uh, West versus D.C., first in the East. Um, Seattle hosted D.C. and uh, were able to get a late winner um, by Tyrone Mears, one of the best signings in MLS this season, you know, def- filling in at right back for DeAndre Yedlin, probably a better defensive player. Uh, he played in the championship in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, he's been fantastic for them, and he scored a late winner against D.C., um, of course, um, Brad Evans is with the U.S. national team, Dempsey is with the U.S. national team, and suspended, and Obafemi Martins is injured. So Seattle needed this result, and they were able to stay atop the West. 
Uh, moving on to Columbus versus New York. New York were able to get a, an early goal in the eighth minute. Columbus responded very, very well with two Ethan Finley goals, both assisted by Kai Kamara. Um, Kai Kamara is a leading scorer in the league, um, while Ethan Finley is a leading assist or the assist leader in the league, coming in with ten assists. So they kind of switch roles there. Uh, Ethan Finley has um, ten, 10 assists and four goals through the season. So he, like I said, like I've been saying, he needs to be on Jurgen Klinsmann's radar. Um, I think in the last 46 games or something, he has 16 goals and 17 assists. So something like that. I, I, I don't know the exact stat. I apologize for that. Um, but, um, you know, after, after having a six-game winless streak in the last four games, Columbus are unbeaten. So, you know, it's, it's, re- it's really nice to see them turn it around and hopefully they can continue to sustain uh, these types of results. And that, you know, that propelled them into second place in the, in the East, um, they are currently 11 points behind DC United, but have three games in hand. They're tied on points with Orlando City, um, who also have 24 points through 18 games. Um, the next game was Montreal versus NYCFC. Montreal, after a good string of results after the CONCACAF Champions League final, has kind of faltered a little bit. Um, NYCFC um, were able to win on the road. David Villa scored two goals, including a free kick in the 82nd minute um, to... Game-winning free kick after Piatti for um, Piatti for Montreal was able to tie it up in the 77th minute on a penalty kick. Uh, Dallas versus New England. New England is reeling, man. Dallas won three nothing. It was an absolute beatdown. Um, there's not really there's not really much else to say in that match. Um, New England needs to figure it out. Uh, they are right currently fourth in the East now um, with 24 points as well, but with 20 games played, so two more than Orlando and Columbus. Um, so Lee Wynn needs to start performing as well as Agadello and Charlie Davies. Um, ever since Jermaine Jones went down, they haven't looked like the same team. And Dallas, you know, Dallas um, started off the season very, very well, had a string of bad results, and have turned it around again. So they have 29 points after 18 games, are currently fifth in the East, or West, excuse me, um, two points behind L.A., um, but also they have three games in hand against L.A. Um, and then we have uh, Colorado versus Vancouver. Huge result for the Colorado Rapids. They're bottom in the West. Um, and we're able to pull out a win uh, against Vancouver, who are currently second in the West, um, tied on points and in games played with Seattle uh, at top of the West. So a good, result for, a good result for Colorado. Vancouver had a chance to maybe go ahead of Seattle. Um, and to separate themselves from the three-way Cascadia battle atop of the West with Seattle first and Vancouver second, and then Portland right behind them with 31 points. Um, uh, Kevin Doyle, the new signing and former Irish international, I don't know if he still is an Irish international, was able to score a game winner off a great header for Colorado, so it's good to see their new signing doing well, after Gabriel Torres, the Panamanian forward, did not really work out over the last few years. Um, and then we went to RSL Orlando, a weird game. Kaká scored a great goal. Um, Orla- uh, I, think, I believe RSL scored first, but Kaká scored a great goal, tied it up at 1-1. And then um, Kaká got a red card, his first straight red card of his career. So, um, you know, a questionable call. Wasn't a red card in my opinion. Um, he did step on Javi Morales' leg, but it looked accidental. Did not warrant a straight red card. I believe that referee has, 19, has issued 19 red cards in 36 games. So, you know, and then L.A. continue their large string of, or their long string of absolute beatdowns at home. This time, Toronto were the victims, lost 4 nothing. 
They beat Philadelphia 5-1 and Portland 5-0, I think, something like that. Or maybe Portland 4-0 in the last few weeks. So they're doing very, very well. They introduced Steven Gerrard that night. Steven Ishizaki, their right winger, it was his last game. Uh, He wanted to go back to Sweden. Maybe making space for Gio Dos Santos. Robbie Keane with the hat-trick this game. And Sebastian Legend, man. He, he's got to be on Aaron Klinsman's radar, too. He scores another goal. Toronto, of course, missing Bradley and Altidore. But L.A. was missing Omar Gonzalez and Giassi Zardes. So L.A. continues their long streak at home. Uh, if, if I were a Toronto fan, I wouldn't be freaking out. Like I said, L.A. destroyed Portland last week. Um, and Portland's still second in the West. So um, it's a hard place to play. It's going to be difficult for Toronto to grind out these results. They're fifth in the East. They just need to stay in playoff position um, until Bradley and Josie come back. And then finally, um, the nightcap on Sunday, 11.30 Eastern time. Portland beat San Jose on a 92nd minute Jack Jewsbury winner. Uh, Good goal. Terrible refereeing in the match. San Jose should have had two red cards. A very close offside call to uh, Gaston Gaston Fernandez, the, um, uh, the Portland man. Um, looked to have uh, scored a, uh, a header, but was called offside. So the assistant referees had a howler of a match. Ricardo Salazar, one of the most hated referees in MLS, did not have a great match. But Portland got a deserved win, one nothing in the 92nd minute. So Jack Jewsbury used to play some college forward and is now more of a defender and a holding midfielder, showing off his skills that he had in college and high school playing some, playing some striker and was able to score a nice goal, um, a nice volley goal in the 92nd minute. So that's the MLS action for the week. Um, exciting weekend, another good weekend in MLS, and another very, very competitive weekend in MLS. Um, and I know I know, we I mentioned the standings throughout that, but if you want to go over the standings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was really going to go over them, but let's just talk a little bit about them. Okay. So Columbus is three games behind, as well as Orlando. Three game, or they haven't played three games. They played three, three games in hand. Three games in hand over DC United. Yeah. Um, but they're both 11 points down. Do either of these teams have a chance to win the East? Uh, I really don't think so. I think DC's going to run away with it. Um, it's really a fight for second place now. And the bottom of the East is pretty crowded. Um, you know, any one of those teams could maybe miss out on the playoffs and uh, NYCFC could sneak in. And, or maybe even Philadelphia and Montreal. You know, Montreal have 18 points, which is six behind um, Columbus, Orlando, and New England. But they've also only played 15 games. So they have a chance to really close the gap and maybe, uh, maybe you know, uh, qualify for the playoffs. I, I'd say the one team that's pretty much out of it at this point is Chicago. Um, they have only played 16 games, but you know, there's no, there's absolutely no, no goals. So for them, it's always interesting to watch the expansion teams in MLS. Do you think NYC, well, NYCFC currently just outside playoff range, 18 games played, 20 points, have a chance to finish in playoff range? Yeah, I mean, if, if Pirlo and uh, Lampard work out, if they, you know, if they gel well with each other, if they figure out that midfield, yeah, you know, they, they're getting two great players, and they're also getting Iraola, who was a starter, who was a starter in La Liga this year, and he's not even a DP, so that'll definitely shore up their defense, shore up their defense, excuse me, um, so they, they do have a chance, you know, it's just a matter of who's going to fall, Red Bulls are at the line, um, Toronto, might fall out too, but I don't see that happening. Toronto just has too much talent. And Orlando, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can sustain um, this, this, this run that they've had in the last month, month and a half. So moving over to the West, 
Let's just, just make a prediction right now. It's really close up top with the Timbers, the Whitecaps, and the Sounders. Who do you think will win the West? Um, oh, man. I, you know, I want to say Vancouver. I really do. I don't think Seattle's going to win it, but I, I'm going to go L.A. Really? Yeah, you know, I, they, they, I think they're just playing way too well right now. They're getting Steven Gerrard. Um, Sebastian Legette was a great buy, and they could be getting Giovanni Dos Santos. And if that happens, I mean, their attacking line will, ha- will be keen. They'll have Gerard, they'll have Zardes when he comes back from the Gold Cup, and they'll have Giovanni Dos Santos. And they have Letget, who's been playing well, Juninho still in the midfield, and Jose Villarreal coming off the bench. I mean, no other team has that kind of talent. And they, of course, have uh, A.J. De La Garza and Omar Gonzalez back there with Dan Gargan and um, Robbie Rogers doing their thing. So top to bottom, probably the best team in the league if they get Giovanni Dos Santos. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go with LA if they get Dos Santos. If not, I think Vancouver wins the West. I just kind of want to say something. Um, we, I'm going to talk about Pirlo, Lampard, Giovanni Dos Santos. These are players that might come mid-season. Mm. When we're watching Europe's top leagues, there are a few January transfers, and even when there are, they're pretty much flops or right. just don't work out. It's really interesting to see in MLS that there's, there's so many players that come from Europe and make an impact mid-season. Yeah, it's so much cooler than what happens in Europe. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but also at the same time, you know, players have struggled. Tim Cahill, Thierry Henry, Clint Dempsey. Or Clint Dempsey didn't score in nine games when he came in the middle of the season. So it's hard for some of these players to play a full European season and then come over and then play another half season. So I mean, even when like the talent is like that wide between like some of the NYCFC midfielders and Pirlo, and yeah, Lampard. yeah. I mean, it, it is because first of all, it's a travel. There's the different play conditions, there's heat, there's, you know, it'll get cold, there's turf. It's hard for those players to adjust. You know, like I said, Thierry Henry did not have a good season when he first came to MLS. Neither did Dempsey, and neither did Cahill. Um, so, you know, it, it, I'm trying to think of successful ones. They're, they're Beckham? Definitely, they're definitely not. Beckham didn't do well either. He didn't do well for the first couple of years. So, uh, I know there are some successful ones out there. I just, I'm having a complete... I. I I don't know. I'm blanking right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it has been hard in the past for these, um, these players. Maybe it was Keen. I think Keen was successful. It's hard for these players to, to come over and, and do well. That being said, you know, they can do well. They, they do have the quality. Um, it's a matter of if they're going to buy into the league. It's a combination. Um, excuse me. Excuse me. If Gerard and, like, Lampard and Pirlo, if they're going to buy into the league, and if they, you know, if they... If they play well, which I, I think they can, um, I, I really, I really don't see NYCFC getting in, even with all their talent. Um, I just think you can't have just David Villa up top, um, and the defense is a little suspect. But they do have Yarrow coming, like I said. I just think the Red Bulls, if if they make a signing, which they should. I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. We'll stay up there. RSL's currently in eighth place in the West. Do you think they have a chance to make the playoffs? Um, oh man, you know, I mean, if they if they were in the East, they'd be in fifth place. Yeah, um, it's like the NBA. Yeah, it's just like the NBA. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think so, especially with Beckerman being gone for the Gold Cup. Yeah. I think they're going to drop a lot of points. Um, you know, they, they struggle. They struggle against the ten man Orlando City. Um, so Romando's gone too, right? Romando's gone too. Yep. Thank you. Um, so, you know, there's some other players across the league who are gone for other teams as well. Um, so I, I, I don't see him getting in. I think 
the, the six teams that are in the playoffs right now will be the six teams that are in the playoffs come the end of the season. Um, and maybe the only team that will fall out is uh, FC Dallas. And I think if, if they were to fall out, San Jose would come through. Uh, Sporting KC is playing way too well, even though they're sixth right now. They only have 16 games played. So, And I, I just want to say something. You know, we've seen before... We've seen before how games in hand don't necessarily mean that you're going to overtake a team. I think Seattle had um, were, were level on points or something with like two or three games in hand, and they almost lost the supporter shield to L.A. last year. So it came down to the last weekend. So, um, you know, it, it, games in hand aren't guaranteed points. You know, uh, Seattle, Vancouver, and Portland could all drop points in the next two games, and L.A. would be right up there for the supporter shield right away so but right now I mean, you didn't ask me this but I really think DC is going to win the supporter shield because of the east is just so much easier um, and they're by far the best team in the east so they'll accumulate more points at the end of the season while these western conference teams will sort of be taking points away from each other yeah right so moving away from MLS I mean not really but we touched on it a little bit with Pirlo um, Pirlo was confirmed he's, he's an NYCFC player um, in the coming weeks. How big of an impact do you think he'll have for NYCFC? It's hard to say. You know, apparently Jason Christ didn't really want Pirlo, but the Manchester City people did. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to fit in the midfield, and I look forward to asking Ian Joy about that because I really I don't know where he's going to fit in. Lampard's there. Discrude's there. Poku's there. I mean, obviously none of them are as good as Pirlo. Um, Lampard might be. But, you know, how, where is he, where is he going to fit in? Um, if they somehow work it out and they can, maybe can play uh, Jason Kreis's, uh diamond um, and Pirlo can be that sort of defensive midfielder. I mean, he's not going to be caught back on him because he's not going to be running. Uh, that's another thing, too. How much running are the other nine players or the other eight players going to have to do? Lampard and Pirlo are going to be running. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. Having a narrow pitch at Yankee Stadium... That's another thing to consider, too. I don't know if that'll help Pirlo or hurt Pirlo. He might not be able to pick out that pass because it's so narrow. It'll be so congested in the midfield. Um, and they play half their games there, so um, it might not be conducive to Pirlo's style of play, which is to have someone else maybe win the ball, him pick the ball from the back, and pick out that pass, that long uh, through ball um, forward. Um, yeah. I think no matter what, it's a success for MLS. The Italian-American soccer fan base is fairly untapped in MLS. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's good. Yeah, with Jovinko's there, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, right. But Pirlo's a much bigger star than Jovinko. Jovinko's sort of, is sort of viewed as a castaway by many Serie A fans. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if Jovinko can get some Italian national team call-ups, then maybe we can, maybe uh, he can bring in some Italian, um, Italian-Canadians, Italian-Americans, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we thought Bobby Wood was confirmed to Stuttgart in the Bundesliga, but... Yeah. Um, it ended up falling through in the end. Yeah, so he's going to uh, Berlin. Yeah, Union Berlin. Um, so, you know, it's a good move for him to stay in the second division of Germany. Um, and, you know, I think that's that's the right place to be. He has a chance for promotion, and he's going to get playing time. Stuttgart, I don't think he'd get much playing time. So good move for him. Barcelona made a, Barcelona made a big move in getting Arda Turan from Atletico Madrid. A great player, very versatile. Yeah, and about 40 million uh, euros. Great, great player. Um, but it's interesting, uh, the president of Barcelona, if a new one is elected, has the option of canceling the deal if a new president is elected and he doesn't want Tehran. 
it's kind of a weird quirk to the contract. So if he decides not to, Barcelona doesn't have to pay anything and Arditron stays at Atletico. Or he'll move somewhere elsewhere. Very versatile player. Don't know where he'll play. Maybe he's a replacement for Iniesta in the midfield. I, I mean, he's not going to play in the wing. They still have Pedro there backing up Neymar and Messi. Well, is it, isn't Xavi gone now? Xavi is gone, yeah. Yeah, so... But, I mean, it's still going to be Rakitic, uh, Iniesta, Iniesta and Busquets, yeah, right? Busquets, yeah. So, I don't know. And, I mean, we also have Rafinha in there. I mean, Tehran's a great player. I, I love him, but we'll see how that works out. Uh, Nani was confirmed to move from United to Fenerbahce on a permanent transfer. Yeah, um, he played in um, he played for Sporting last year in, yeah, in Portugal. Portugal. Um, so you know, good move for Fenerbahce. Um, the you know Turkish league is a is a good league, probably one of the most underrated leagues in the world. Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, and Besiktas are all great teams, all based in Istanbul. Um, so you know, good move for Fenerbahce. He'll he'll immediately be one of the best players. Uh, the German for interim. Wait, was he on loan or was he? Yeah, he was on loan. He's an Arsenal yeah, player. So the German for Arsenal. Uh, was transferred to another Turkish club in Galatasaray. Yeah, good move for them. You know, he's he'll definitely strengthen that strike partnership uh, or that strike force with um, Yilmaz, Barak Yilmaz, the Turkish striker who's there. Uh, he'll be able to to add another element to their attack, and he can also play on the wing. You know, they have uh, they have also Blushy Slider there, who sometimes plays outside midfield. Um, they have Bruma, a young Portuguese winger, who's who, who's very exciting. So you know, it's it's a great move for them. He can maybe mentor a player like Bruma. And he can add a lot to the team and the attack. And maybe maybe finally they can... I don't know if they qualify for the Champions League, actually. I think Fenerbahce won. Oh, no, Besiktas won? So, I, I'm pretty sure they Besiktas did. Besiktas won. Right yeah, right. I think Besiktas won the league. So um, maybe they can they can make a deep run in the Europa League. So good move for them. Perhaps the biggest transfer of the ones we mentioned is Falcao to Chelsea. Yeah, I believe he's going on loan to Chelsea again. Chelsea. So um, he, it's, not, it's not a... It's not a complete transfer, so they haven't just bought. Um, they haven't bought Falcao, but you know, Loic Remy wasn't getting it done as a backup striker when Diego Diego Costa went down last year for Chelsea. They had a real hard time scoring, um, so Drogba was leaving too. So you know, overall, I think it's a good move to have someone else there. But Falcao wasn't great last year for United, no, not so at all. Um, you know. It'll be interesting. They have a lot of young strikers. I think Solanke, he's a striker, I believe. Maybe not. Is he a midfielder? Uh, I don't know. Solanke. I uh, a striker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I meant like... It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but they do have some young strikers there. Uh, Falcao is... You know, Falcao is still Falcao, so he, he can add a lot to the team. Especially, he's not going to be a starter, so... Uh, you know, good for him. Hopefully he can... Hope, hopefully he can turn... Hopefully he, he, he can turn his career around, I guess. I mean, he didn't have a good season last year, and hopefully he plays well for, for, uh, for Chelsea. Yeah, so uh, we have a game that we play at the end of all yeah. our episodes. Want to explain it? Yeah, so basically um, one of us asked the other person about a, any player. Um, so far it's been only U.S. players. Um, a player, we asked them about uh, where they rank in the pool. We asked them to be – well, the other person doesn't know who the player is, first yeah. of all. Um, where they rank in the pool, what do we think about their game or their style of play or whatever, and will they be on, the, on their respective 2018 World Cup squad? Um, so last time I, I asked you, uh, so it's your turn to ask me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a bit of a local player. We live in Ohio. Will Trapp. I think he's okay. made two caps, maybe one cap for the yeah, U.S. National team, senior national team. So first of all, what do you think of his game? Uh, well, he, you know, he's, he's a great, great player. He's 
He's very good at winning a tackle and then being able to pick out a pass, a long pass going forward. Uh, he's very methodical in the way he plays. He picks out short passes as well. Um, he's sort of a Morgan Bryant. He's kind of like that, except a more defensive player. Um, but he also has the ability to go forward. I mean, if you just look at his highlights, he has just some some great, great, great passes. You know, right now he's recovering from a concussion, hasn't played in a while, but he's working his way back. He made, a, he made an appearance against New York this weekend. Um, but, you know, I, I absolutely love his game. I think... Uh, once Kyle, once Kyle Beckerman retires, he's going. Will Trapp is the heir apparent, really, uh, as well as Perry Kitchen. They're both sort of in that age group. But I think Will Trapp offers you more going forward and can really, really be uh, an integral player for the U.S. or for the U.S. Uh, midfield. And then uh, second one is where do you rate him in the pool right now? Uh, he's behind Beckerman. He's still behind Jermaine Jones. He's behind Perry Kitchen. It seems like. Um, and there's some, you know, Bradley's in there. Danny Williams, he's behind Danny Williams as well right now. So I rate him pretty highly. I just, I don't think he's, I don't think he's above those players right now, though. And then C, do you see him in the 2018 World Cup squad? Oh, man. I would say no. I'm going to say yes. No. I think he breaks in in 2017, um, and he does really well. I mean, look at Beckerman. He didn't really play well until 2013. So and he was able to break into the squad. So I think he's going to break in. Um, and I think Klinsman's going to realize he's better than Perry Kitchen. Because his one cap, he played left central midfield against Chile. Like, that's not his position. He's a defensive midfielder. He's a deep-lying midfielder. And having a player like that can really enable Michael Bradley to do really well going forward, uh, just like Beckerman does. So I think, I think you know, I'm going to be bold, kind of, and I think he's going to go forward. Or, sorry, I think he's going to make the 2018 World Cup squad. Yeah. All right, so we're almost wrapped up with the episode. Um, my brother does write as a USMNT writer for BetweenTheTouchlines.com. I encourage you guys to check that site out. Yeah, thank you. And so, he's yeah, I have uh, some player ratings for the Guatemala match, and I should have some up in the next couple of days for the first match against Honduras. And for every other Gold Cup match. Hopefully. Right. Um, another thing is we do have an email address, SoccerBrothersPodcast at gmail.com. So if you have any questions or any comments, um, make sure to email us. You know, if you have a question, we'll be sure to answer it on the next show. And if we get enough questions, we can have even a uh, question and answer section. Yeah. Um, another thing is we both have Twitters. Um, my brother is at Big Time Brownie. I'm at ASR underscore Sahil. Right. Sahil is yeah. S-A-H-I-L. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find my name in the description of SoundCloud and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a good show today. All right. Signing out. Yep. See you guys later. Be sure to uh, subscribe on iTunes, uh, tell your friends, and uh, leave a review. They, they help us out a lot. Um, if you leave a review, we can really uh, expand our audience. So, thank you. Thanks.